Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We're pleased to have you here today. Despite our technical difficulties, it appears that we will be on. Is Justin on with me? I'm here. Hello, Justin. Hi, good morning. And is Mick with us? Hi, I'm here. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to hear from you. I am very pleased about this, Joe, because when Mick and I met, I'm thinking it's seven or eight years ago, uh, we were talking about innovation when you were still at USAA. And I think one of the things that confuses people about those in the military is they think they're very rigid in their thinking and that they don't know how to think outside the box, which couldn't be further from the truth with most people. And so today we're going to be talking about the innovative spirit of the, those in the military, their ability to surmount all kinds of hurdles and get the mission done with creativity and diligence and great zeal. And I think that we are really going to bring to light things that both of you as entrepreneurs and you know, obviously very accomplished people are very familiar with. But I think that our audience may not be, especially those that are out to employ our veterans and our mill spouses. And so I'm very pleased to introduce Mick Simonelli, who is with us today. And Mick, good morning, and welcome to Military Network Radio. Good morning to you, Lyndon. Good morning, Justin. Good morning. I'd love it if we could start with, Mick, how you believe the military innovates. Because you were a former, I love this word, transformation officer and innovator. So explain that statement and how it works within your work with the Army and also later on in private industry? Sure. I, I, uh, I'm one of those people that loves to swim upstream, uh, no matter how painful it is. I just, you know, like to do things differently. And, and you know that, Linda, from our old friendship. And you kind of might, exactly. might have the innovation DNA, too, Linda. Um, at uh, least just got, a little. Yeah, you got the entrepreneurial spirit for sure, which is a which is a key component of it. Um, and so, uh, within the military, um, I started off as a combat support MP, uh, which um, I loved. But uh, about my fifth year of service, I quickly found, um, you know, that I loved doing things differently, and there was some opportunity to do things differently. So they transferred me into comptrollership, <clears throat> managing money, which also, oddly enough, the DOD um, gave us opportunities managing money to um, lead transformation efforts, at least in the finance side. So I became um, a change agent, and at the time, innovation wasn't the big word it is now, but transformation was. And um, Justin, I don't know if you were in the military at that time, but um, we, you know, we, we, uh, Force 21 digitized the U.S. Army and made us, you know, best in class. The reason that the U.S. military is so dang good is, of course, the soldiers, uh, what they do. But, but also our innovation uh, really made a difference. So while, while the rest of the militaries in the world were 
um, having to park their vehicles at night because they couldn't fight at night. We learned how to fight at night. Uh, we had the phrase, we own the night. And we used innovation for that. And of course, our great troops. We also learned how to digitize ourselves. So if you think back to the way and still some militaries communicate this way, but most of them have now digitized. We used to talk via radios. We used to, you know, the fog of war was prevalent everywhere. It would be, we'd have to figure out on a map board sitting in some command post where everybody was, you know, unit A, where are you? Oh, crud, you're here. And there'd be some poor, you know, um, sergeant or, or lieutenant trying to plot where units were and figure out where we were and where they were. When we digitized our military, um, that fog of war dissipated considerably. We could then see, the commander could then sit back in a command post and see exactly where our troops were. And if we uh -huh. could tag, or yeah, it was awesome. We could, if we could tag or identify where the enemy were, we could see exactly where the enemy was. So so while the bad guys were, or our opponents were trying to figure out where they were on the battlefield, we would know exactly, and we could maneuver exactly to where we wanted to be. It was super powerful. Uh, and, you know, and, and there were different terms for it. I'm calling it digitization of the military, but it gave us a significant upper hand. And I saw firsthand the power of innovation. And at that, at that time, my title was transformation officer. I was a captain and then a major at a place called Forces Command that, that controlled all the, the general there controlled all the U.S. forces. And, and it was just a wonderful experience and really hit home with me how important innovation was and how dang innovative our military was. And you so, know, Mick, you're yeah. exactly right. And, and I think that so often everyone thinks that you're so programmed. You're being a, a very royal you. Um, that, that you're programmed. You, you know, when you get up, you know when there's formation. You know what you're supposed to do for the day, and then you go home. But that is not what you're describing. You're exactly. describing opportunities that if you have that DNA, as you mentioned earlier, you do take advantage of using your ingenuity, using your independence and the responsibility you've been given to make things happen. Justin, would you agree with the same sort of theory that we just heard from Mick? Yeah, I would, because when we're talking about the military, you know, I agree with you, Linda, that a lot of people think, oh, well, it's, everything's programmatic and mm -hmm. formulaic, but where else are, where else besides the military are you leading people directly day in, day out? And people... Mm -hmm. You know, people are not robots. You, ha as a leader in the military, you have to come up with innovative ways to inspire and motivate different people and, and reach your goals in different ways. And so I think what Mick's talking about is right on point. I do too. And Mick, I have to ask a question from a leadership standpoint. Um, and Justin mentioned the leadership aspect as well. When you're leading a group of people, is it difficult within the military structure to lead in a way that people want to follow you? Is it the same as leadership being influenced in the civilian world? Um, or does it feel a little bit more that you have to allow people to understand that they can use their thinking as opposed to simply following orders? Does that make sense in a question? Did I ask that properly? Yeah, yeah no, I understand exactly what you're saying. Well, I, I do think that um – Leadership in the military is a little more intense than leaders, you know, having been an executive mm -hmm. in, 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 for now for a while in the private sector, you know, and having spent 20 years in the military, I think leadership in the military has been more intense because um, lives are at stake. Uh, people's health and welfare and morale are at stake. Um, so, so there's higher stakes in the military, which is mm -hmm. good for leadership. 
Uh, some people call, you know, call the leadership that you get under fire the crucible of combat. Uh, Justin's experienced it. Um, I've experienced it. A whole bunch of our U.S. troops have experienced it. Um, but what there's there's a special there's a special thing the U.S. military has um, that's called commander's intent, mm-hmm. and it's not known to the civilian world too much. But if you understand it, it dispels all of those beliefs that the military is super rigid and super structured and, and can't think independently or innovatively. Because um, the U.S. military uses this thing called commander's intent. And what it is, is it's, a, it's one of the most critical aspects of an, of an order or of a mission. And what it does is it tells everybody in that unit whether it's a small, you know, five-person team or a, you know, 10,000-person uh, division. It tells everybody in that unit what the intent of what you're trying to do is. It doesn't tell them – yeah, there's orders that tell them exactly how to do it, but the intent tells them what you're really trying to accomplish, whether it's trying to take over a city, whether it's trying to secure a, a river crossing, whether it's, you know, whatever the intent is – and, and the reason intent is so important is because everyone needs to know that so that they can adjust their plans as they're moving. They can innovate, so to speak, to make sure they achieve the intent. So, so for example, if they're trying to, t- to secure a riverbed and the route they're taking is blocked by an opposing force, but they know the intent is to get to a certain point to secure it, it gives those military folks the freedom to innovate, to change their plans, and to do it another way in order to secure the river crossing. So the intent is so critical, and it's, it's, a, it's a doctrinal part of military culture for, for the military folks to have intent. And, and if you understand that, it kind of dispels um, those sort of World War II, World War I movie thoughts of, oh, the military just plods through. Um, they just take their orders and, and do them regardless, um, because they really don't. They're innovative thinkers. They think on their feet. Uh, they come up with different, unique, almost entrepreneurial ways to do things, uh, and they do it on a daily basis. And, and every time I had an opportunity to hire a military person, I would because because I'm an innovator, and they bring innovative spirit and thinking to um, corporate America. You know, I'm going to save this question for after the break because it's a longer question about the differences between the private sector uh, and that kind of communication and the military. But I, I have to ask you about, we, we spoke on the phone before we started here, and I think you can answer this one quickly, about the turret seats in Bosnia. Ah, okay. <laughs> can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, that was a that's a case of uh, soldier ingenuity. So I was a young company commander in Bosnia, and we had uh, we were there in 1995 when we were sent. U.S. forces were sent in early 95 to 96 to uh, peacemake in the Balkans. You remember the Serbians and the Croatians were fighting, and, and, and or Serbians and the Bosnians were fighting, and there were atrocities being committed. We were sent in to make the peace. Um, we had Humvees at that time that had straps for turrets. The turrets are the little places you sit up um, and you have your machine guns up there and you try to operate. The straps, we were doing patrols, combat patrols for, you know, 8 to 12 hours a day. And these, these 
guys and women's rear ends were just getting chafed and they couldn't turn quickly. And they were, you know, we were, sometimes they would take shots at us and we couldn't move fast enough. Um, and, and, and the, 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 the provided turrets were just not good enough. And, and so I was company commander and some folks in my unit, uh, some country, some country boys from Georgia were fisher, were fishermen. They bass fished. And I don't know if you've seen bass boats, but they have these little comfy swivel seats up in the front of bass boats where you can swivel real fast and, and throw your, throw your lure at a bass so you can catch it. I have. Mick, hang on one second. We're going to have to go on break. And with that, we will just sit tight and wait for the rest of the bass fishing turret in Bosnia's story. We're going on break. Thank you for listening to Military Network Radio. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. This is Toginet, Cutting Edge Radio. Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse. Involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education, encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment, join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're here today with Mick Simonelli and Dustin Constantine. We are talking about innovation, innovative spirit in the military, and we were hearing the last of a story of the turrets in Bosnia and the ingenuity used to make that safer. So, Mick, I will let you finish that story. We've all been on edge waiting. Yeah, well, those... Uh those country boys uh, really improved the Humvee through their own innovative spirit. Uh, on their own, they ordered um, some of those swivel seats from Bass Pro Shops, took them out, made a deal with the mechanics to put them in the Humvees, and essentially made not just their seats more comfortable but um, more efficient, quicker. Um, they could spin those turrets uh, way quicker to, to face opposing fire and, and actually, you know, innovated their way to a solution that the army would adopt. So after they made those changes, uh, we sent the, we sent those changes to the Center for Army's Lessons Learned, and it finally got to the program managers for Humvees, and they changed the tourists around to give us some better swivel seats. So that's it. an example of, of sort of grassroots innovation that happens all the time with, with service members, soldiers, Marines, sailors. They just make things happen like that. You know, and I love the freedom and the authority to do so. You talked earlier of the commander's intent, 
in the military and how that is really a unifying message that goes out to everyone. I have to wonder, in terms of uh, reintegrating back into the civilian world, if you believe that, and this is an opinion, obviously, but if you believe that that type of message, communication, is getting through as much in the world of industry. Uh, well, you know, I, I'd be interested in y'all's opinions too, but I absolutely do not think it is. I think there's an opportunity for more. So you're, you and I, Linda, know each other from way back where, right. you know, I was at USAA and we were um, – I was leading their innovation program there for quite a long time and we were all about getting – people involved in innovation and saw great value in that. And I just don't think it happens quick enough. Uh, I think that the, uh, the modern day way we come up with ideas is way different than we used to. It's no longer enough for companies to have a couple of smart Einsteinian types sitting in a back room and skunk works and trying to come up with ideas. The power of the crowd, the power of getting other people involved, the power of you know, everybody's idea coming to play is really, really prevalent. And if companies aren't taking advantage of that, they're wrong. And, and I, so I work in financial services still as an independent guy. Mm -hmm. And I still see very hierarchical, very stiff, very rigid rules that don't quite allow people to take as much risk as they should be allowed to take. That's, that's my opinion. That's my opinion as well, though. I mean, I, I find that as well in, in large bureaucracies or, um, as you mentioned, the top-down kind of need-to-know basis, but not on OPSEC issues, on you know, tasks and titles sometimes get in the way. True leadership can be used where everybody's best ideas are, are brought to play. And um, I, I find that I agree with you in terms of the rigidity sometimes of the leadership where you are not permitted to uh, use as much ingenuity as you possibly can simply because you don't have the title or the position or it's just the leadership that you have. Now, not every good leader is a great leader. I mean, that's true too. But I do like how you're talking about these opportunities that come along. Justin, when you were in service, active duty, did you also see this kind of ingenuity where you could work? And how did that translate when you got home? Oh, certainly. I think the military has, has lots of opportunity for um, small small unit leadership and and innovation. Like when when I'm really glad that Mick's talking about uh, commander's intent because that is a way that in the military we push leadership down to very low levels that that doesn't typically exist in the private sector where everyone knows where the commander wants to go. What we call a big blue arrow, but then mm -hmm. it's up to us to figure out how to do that without being micromanaged. And and in the Marine Corps and the Army, we push those opportunities down to uh, corporals and sergeants and, and low low level as possible. And uh, that's good for a number of reasons, but it, it directly translates over the private sector because well, for one thing, we see that in the private sector, um, the veteran-owned businesses, veteran-owned small businesses, are disproportionately represented in society. We have mm -hmm. a lot. There's a great amount of veteran-owned businesses, um, far more than there are veterans, as we compare to the rest of the general population. So we're doing very well there. But then also, and, and this is back to your original question uh, to Mick was. 
how is it playing out in the private sector. And I don't think a lot of people out there think about our soldiers and Marines and the other service members as being innovative and as being uh, entrepreneurial and how important that is in a regular mm -hmm. job. But that is actually when you go back and talk to employers, that is something they often comment on. And I've, I've spoken around about this previously is where they realize, wow, men and women are coming to us. They have different ways of looking at things. They're problem solvers. They're always looking for better, quicker, more efficient ways to, to do our whatever it is that we're doing. And, and frankly, even in Iraq, we had to rely on that, whether it was something that's like, when you're off a major base, you have to be very innovative on how you're going to feed yourselves, how you're going to make sure you have all the supplies you need, how you're going to talk to people who don't speak your language. So there's no cookie-cutter cookie recipe uh, or solution for any of the issues we face. That carries over to our personal lives and, and our business lives as well. Well said, and, and I'm hoping that this show does share with a lot of people that there really is perhaps an untapped potential that is not being used. And, and that's really a shame because, as you say, it is there, but we don't have in the civilian world a commander's intent kind of uh, pull down, um, you know, the bottoms up, top down. There's a lot more uh, layers that you have to break through before you're uh, permitted to know certain things, and that's a shame because I, you mentioned it, Mick, and so did you, Justin, that the collective ingenuity, I think energy grows when people are put together and they're thinking. I'm not fond of the word brainstorm um, because that just sounds a little lightweight, but I do love the word um, you know, collective innovation where there are discussions on how to make things better and other people's ideas then spur new thoughts, ideas, because you think out loud in many ways. Would you yeah, agree with that? I, I, I think there's a lot to that. And, you know, we, we've seen big companies like Google and, and others that, that dedicate or allow their employees 20% of their time to work on their own projects. And some of their best, best uh, products come from that kind of uh, personalized attention that they can pay pay to their projects. And so it is true that even – even in a big uh, corporate setting, there is lots of room for the entrepreneurial spirit, and that's typically on a small uh, for a manager uh, or individual employees. So I, I do think it's playing out in the private sector, maybe not as much as, as the military, but uh, I, I do think it's a growing belief out there that there's a lot of opportunity to uh, let the let the small unit leadership take initiative and, and push forward. You know, Mick, um, we talked about that today's corporate environment is in a hyper-innovative stage. It's highly competitive. It's highly group-oriented. And in this environment, do you feel that former military are being um, given the opportunities to be part of this as much as they would like to be? And if not, how could we do better at uh, providing those opportunities? Yeah, I, th I think uh, I agree with you know what you're saying, and Justin also about the 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 great uh, innovative and entrepreneurial spirit of the military. And I think that as of yet, corporate America hasn't quite recognized it. I think there's a lot of great emphasis happening. Love love the emphasis on the military and trying to support them. But I also frequently see them trying to hire 
Um, I work with a couple of companies, big companies that have programs to hire the military, but I see them trying to hire them in sometimes what I consider the wrong spots. And what I mean by that is they have a they have an incentive to hire them and goals to get a certain number of folks on board, but they lose track of the real value of some of these military folks. Uh, and, and I'll give you an example. Um, I knew a sergeant major who uh, had done some heroic, amazing things. Uh, and, and like Justin was saying, innovation's a team sport, and we mm-hmm. have um, team uh, focus in the military. And so uh, this guy was a go-getter, and he had had leadership positions. He had done some amazing things. This company was trying to put him on the phones uh, at an entry-level position. And oh. so their solution was, was they, they, weren't, they weren't coming from a bad place. They were trying to find military jobs, and their solution was let's hire a bunch of military. But they missed the final step of really maximizing the, 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 the traits, the, the leadership skills of this individual by trying just to place him into a – routine on the phone then there's nothing wrong with those jobs but this guy could have led their call center <laughs> to, to excellence yeah. and trying yeah. to put him in a job on the phones and and he just in the end he went somewhere else but if he'd taken that job he would have been you know only a fraction of his skills would have been used and and i use that as an example but i think that happens a lot I think that there there's some good emphasis on hiring military, but I just don't think there's enough shows like this that bring awareness of just how innovative and good the military can be for an organization. Well, what advice do you give to those looking for positions, which are hard to find, let's face it, today? And there are a lot of companies that, as you say, have initiatives, incentives to hire veterans, but don't quite understand them. I know people like you and Justin go around talking to corporations about the value of the military employee, etc. But how do we get past, or, or what are some suggestions that you might have about being able to share the fact that if you're seeking a job, emphasize these traits when you're talking, uh, emphasize these skills. Isn't there some translation that has to come on the part of the person seeking the job as well? I'll, 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 I'll give my opinion. I'd be interested in Justin's too. I think so, yes. Um, I think they, and, and there are programs that the Department of Defense has for people transitioning to help them. Um, and there, there are varying levels of, of quality and, and how much people use them. But I think you're right, Linda. I think there is a certain there's, – there's a responsibility on us too as we're transitioning that maybe a year out we start mm-hmm. looking. Uh, what I see with my career military friends is unfortunately sometimes they get in the habit of thinking the, the, the next job's just going to show up. And because it does in the military, it, it's a little bit different in that the next job is kind of predetermined for you. And so they don't start – they don't understand the game as you start looking early. You start shaping your future. You get connections on professional networks like LinkedIn mm-hmm. and other places. You start working it and that you start tailoring your resume to take your military terms and reflect them into civilian terms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not fibbing, but translating, to use your word, what you've done in the military so it speaks to the folks in the private sector. And I think that sometimes we don't do as good of a job of that as we should, and I, and I see it with some of my friends. And so I do think the onus is on us also to do that. But having said that, I still think that the private sector 
um, probably doesn't realize just how team oriented and how good some of these military folks could be for their organizations. Absolutely right. We'll come back after a short break. Thank you. You're listening to Military Network Radio. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Familia, faith, identity, tradición. Latina life is never boring, but it can be muy dramática. So how do you coexist between the old school ways of la abuela and the new school life you're creating for yourself without losing your faith, familia, identity, or tradiciones? Welcome to Living Latina with Francesca Escoto, where culture curls and curves collide in one spicy cross-cultural conversation that will leave you begging for mas. Francesca tackles all the important issues, from politics to family values, to religion to, you guessed it, relationships and men. As Chief Everything Officer at the WOW Factor, Francesca is passionate about showing women of all cultures, ages, and lifestyles how to rock what they've got with style, sass, and smarts. Be sure to join her every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for Living Latina, only on the WooHoo Radio Network. to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're here talking with Mick Simonelli and Justin Constantine about the innovative spirit of the military and their families. Um, Mick had spoken about what he felt about the uh, responsibility to translate and to to communicate with hiring. Justin, I'd love to hear your opinion as well. Yeah, well, thanks, Linda. And, and Mick's exactly right when he says that uh, the onus is on the transitioning service member or family member to sell themselves and to take the necessary steps to get uh, a good, sustainable career after the military. Um, of course, it relies, or of course, the burden is on the individual at first. Um, and like Mick said, that means tailoring your resume for an individual company. Don't just send every company the same resume. 
preparing six months to a year out, so you're already having interviews by the time you're going on terminal leave, uh, making connections on LinkedIn, start networking. It's not it's not normal for our veterans or our service members to network so much and talk about ourselves that we have to get used to doing that. Um, so there's a lot, a, a whole host of steps that an individual has to take as they move out of the military. At the same time, and learning to talk in civilian language is critical to that. Don't use military acronyms on your resume and during interviews, stuff like that. But um, on the other hand, the corporations who want to hire veterans because of the skill sets that we bring, the benefits they receive, they have they have certain responsibilities as well. A lot of them, a lot of corporations are doing things well, and frankly, there's a lot who aren't. Um, it, it takes. It takes time and effort. If you want to have a successful veteran hiring initiative, to learn how to talk to veterans and how to interview them the, the correct way, how to get us to open up and peel back the onion about things that we've done in the military. Because, as I said, we don't like to brag about ourselves, so it, it might take some prodding. And so, uh, it, say you're a hiring manager and you're overwhelmed with a new veteran hiring man, uh, new veteran hiring initiative. Uh, well, maybe you should hire a veteran in your HR office who can help tell you about what the uh, military occupation specialty codes mean or mm-hmm. the difference between a sergeant and a sergeant major or lieutenant and lieutenant colonel, basic things. Uh, but, but there are a number of steps, uh, and there are a lot of resources to support this that corporations can take. If, if they truly believe it's a priority to hire veterans, then there are steps they need to take to successfully implement a veteran hiring initiative. They can't just, it can't be a one-off. No, and you, you know, you bring up something that is, is so interesting because it's what I would call some of those soft skills. Sometimes that humility and the respect of waiting for the other person to stop talking before, you know, you enter in is seen as reticence in the workplace right. when it's really not. And so you're listening to two very, um, enthused, passionate, uh, innovative service members, previous service members here on this program today. And that kind of passion, I wonder if that comes up as much. Because when I talk to corporations or I talk to mill spouses seeking jobs or veterans who have sought jobs, they, they, they feel like they're that inability to, as you say, brag about yourself, which is really just sharing your skill sets, etc., is not innate. It, it, is, it takes a little getting used to, and that sometimes holds people back in the workplace. And that's when we start to see the three jobs in three years kind of thing, and people right. aren't sticking. And yeah. so I don't know how one gets past learning skills about, you know, yes, you can be humble, but please make sure that you share exactly what you can do and what you're capable of, and that even your voice and how you convey yourself makes a big difference. Presence matters, tone of voice matters, enthusiasm, yeah. passion matters. Um, in yeah, today's you're, you're right. Hyper- yeah. I'm not trying to cut you off, but there, no, are, no, there, there are steps that service members and their and their family members can take, uh, particularly spouses, to help prepare themselves. And there are a number of organizations from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on down that that provide free services for all of us, whether that's uh, workshops on uh, interview mock interviews, whether it, you know you sit down with someone and make sure your resume is exactly the way you want it to be, but. It's about preparation. We wouldn't do a military operation or a training exercise or anything without planning it out. And the same is next in this very, very important part of your life where you are transitioning out. So 
if you are a service member and you just expect a job to fall in your lap, it's probably not going to happen. Mm -hmm. But if you practice interviewing and and you can just Google this and you can find out, okay, here's 10 or 20 questions companies typically ask. How would I answer this? You know, uh -huh. what questions do I want to go in to ask these employers to show that I'm interested and to make sure it's a good fit for me? How do they talk to each other there? How do they dress? What's their corporate culture? And all these are things that you can do before you walk in that door to to be fully prepared and come out with a job offer. So there there are there are opportunities. You just have to put the time in. Perfect. Now, Mick, that segues beautifully into your discussion of culture. Culture, you, you have listed on your website, culture eats innovation for lunch. Can you please expand on that? Well, there's a, uh, there's a famous Ford strategy statement, culture eats, in, eats strategy for strategy. breakfast. And right. so I stole that and it, like the good innovator I am and I modified <laughs> it and said culture eats innovation for lunch because it does. Um, mm -hmm. You wrestle against the culture with innovation. You wrestle against the way things, you know, and culture is a big scary thing, but in a lot of respects, it's, it's really it's the best of, it, what? It's everything. It's everything. It's every, it's ubiquitous. It's everything. Uh, you know, there's a culture, uh, you know, at the grocery store. There's a, there's a culture on teams. There's a culture in organizations. And, and it's really the way you do things around there. You know, that's the best definition I've heard. It's the way they do things. Mm -hmm. And, and you really have to get in touch with that in order to innovate. And to relate this to the, to the, you know, to our topic and what we were just talking about where you were saying, well, sometimes, you know, military members and family members might be too respectful and not, uh, able to express themselves. I think there's some, some truth in that. And, and I'll give you a small example of how I, how I used to see it when I would try to get, um, when I was a, an executive at USA and try to get military folks hired. Um, there is a very positive thing in the military culture that's not so positive in the private sector, and that is an utmost respect mm -hmm. um, for leadership whereby you call everybody sir or ma'am. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just ingrained in you, right? You call your, your mm -hmm. superiors sir or ma'am if they're your superiors. And although I'm in the financial services sector, it's very buttoned up, you know, frequently suit and tie type of stuff, the, the culture in my market, financial services, is first names. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's your frontline manager or your CEO. They really want you to call them by their first names, and that's an important thing for them. And unfortunately, you take the military – I used to take the mil my military friends and put them in that environment, and they just would not be able to turn off addressing senior leaders by sir or ma'am. And after three or four times of being told, call me Joe, call me you know, uh, Mary – uh, and then still calling them sir or ma'am, it kind of it kind of hurt them a little bit because mm -hmm. it went against the. It's a small cultural point, but it went against the culture of the organization. And so, so that's an example, one example of how that worked against us. I, I think you're right, and you know, creativity. There's a creativity culture. There's an innovation culture, or there's a, a really buttoned down. We don't do it that way culture. So what. Mm -hmm. Justin said earlier about it has to be a good fit for both people. Um, that's again preparation, isn't it? Absolutely. So if we're working on 
preparation for this hyper-innovative environment that is very different. Um, when you come out of some meetings at corporations, you don't always come out with a list of next steps. And I know that that can be very disconcerting. Um, how would you, uh, how would you explain to someone going into a corporation that, uh, things are done a little bit differently? You don't come out with perhaps a strategic plan from a meeting with next steps and next deliverables. Some places you do, but not always. So how are those kinds of things interpreted when you're seeking jobs and you're seeking an environment that does give you some of that authority and uh, ability to create as you used to? Uh, from my perspective, uh, I think that, that most military leaders have that ability. They don't equate it. They don't call it – they may not call it entrepreneurial spirit, entrepreneurial skills, but they have it. A young troop leader is taught troop leading p- uh, procedures on how to take a loose order and translate that very quickly into a firm uh, mission statement and operation for his or her uh, subordinates. And so, so the troop leading procedures, they receive a mission. They issue a warning order. They make tentative plans. They initiate necessary troop movements. They reconnoiter. They, mm-hmm. you know, they refine the plan. They've got that embedded in them. They, we have the U.S. military has some of the best leadership experience and training in the world. And so I like to I like for them to take what they know from the military and merely adjust it and apply it to the private sector. And I feel like they're off to the races. I think they have. So I guess, Linda, I'm saying and Justin, I think they have the skills they need to be successful in the in the private sector, but they just have to modify them to fit. Yeah, I, th- I agree with that. Don't you, Justin? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And and one of the challenges we face, I do a lot of work in veteran employment, is is letting a young service member who's transitioning out know that and convincing them that they already have these incredible skills that are so valuable in today's workplace. They just sometimes don't realize it because what they do on a daily basis and what they've done, they don't think it's a big deal because that's what they know and mm-hmm. that's what's always been expected of them. But when you talk to someone, maybe, maybe he or she says, well, what did you do in Iraq? And they say, oh, I was a truck driver. Okay, but they're not what they're not saying. If you don't ask them the right questions, you won't find out that they led a hundred convoys over there and and contested territory and were responsible for several vehicles and maybe four other um, troops and maybe they wanted, they were they received an award for uh, doing something great and all these things that they're not, they're just not going to mention because it doesn't even occur to them that it's something awesome. Um, but uh, you know. As Mick said, they are well positioned to to take leadership roles in communities and at work. We still face a we still face an issue. Um, make sure that people are talking. Uh, individual service members are talking to the corporations, and the corporations are talking to service members using the same language and understanding each other perfectly. I, I, well said, Justin, and we'll come back to that after the break. We are going on a short break. You're listening to Military Network Radio with Mick Simonelli, Justin Constantine. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Familia. Identity, tradición. Latina life is never boring, but it can be muy dramática. 
So how do you coexist between the old school ways of La Abuela and the new school life you're creating for yourself without losing your faith, familia, identity, or tradiciones? Welcome to Living Latina with Francesca Escoto, where culture curls and curves collide in one spicy cross-cultural conversation that will leave you begging for mas. Francesca tackles all the important issues, from politics to family values, to religion to, you guessed it, relationships and men. As Chief Everything Officer at the Wow Factor, Francesca is passionate about showing women of all cultures, ages, and lifestyles how to rock what they've got with style, sass, and smarts. Be sure to join her every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time for Living Latina, only on the Woohoo Radio Network. questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are here talking about ingenuity and innovation and creativity. And I'm a big believer that creativity will give you the initial motivation. But discipline needs to carry you to keep that innovation coming. And perhaps let's make, let's start with you about how you believe that that works and how you keep it going and that sometimes you will have ideas that don't work. And as John Maxwell says, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn, but you never lose unless you fail to learn from something. So tell us how we can be resilient in our job search and our use of creativity and ideas that take and those that don't. Amen. Well, I, you know, innovation, I, I eat, breathe, drink, sleep innovation. I love it. And I, and I do it at the strategic level with large companies, mostly financial services. And the one thing, and frequently, uh, Linda, Justin, I help companies that are under duress with their innovation programs, mm-hmm. where their innovation, more than half of my clients are, and I'm in demand, are um, not doing well with change and change management. And that is because the culture of the organization sort of resists change. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because innovation requires courage. Doing things differently requires personal courage. And personal courage is one of the traits that military members have in spades. 
uh, military vets are taught because um, it's it's a courageous you have to be courageous in the military nobody nobody wants to go just to mention going to iraq and just deploying to iraq and having to sustain yourself in an austere environment nobody does that voluntarily you don't hear people going on vacation i want to go to iraq and see if i can find water and uh eat food out of a can for you know <laughs> yeah. months uh it takes co- just just the basics of going somewhere forget what the actual mission is mm-hmm. where where you're out in harm's way um doing going doing you know convoy escorts with bad guys shooting at you and ieds and all kinds of crazy stuff happening in land, you know, foreign languages and tribes, and um, so it takes courage to be in the military. It's 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 table stakes, it, and and mm-hmm. innovation takes courage. Innovation is swimming upstream. Innovation is implementing change in a place that's sort of moving in one direction. Uh, frequently, innovation's not about running the business. Um, the the most of the organizations that I work with are about running the business, but innovation is about doing something differently to improve the business, or maybe sometimes even to disrupt the business. Mm-hmm. And it requires real courage to be that person or to be part of a team that steps up and says, "I think we can do things better. I think we can do things differently for the betterment of our customers." You have to be able to look in the mirror and say. I'm okay with getting shot down. I'm okay with failure because this is going to have a good result if we win. And military members have that, you know, they have that personal courage. And this one of the things I always loved about bringing military members onto my team is that when they come, I know that they're not going to be afraid to take chances. And and like you mentioned, you alluded to, um, failure is a key part of innovation. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. and, and, and failure isn't even bad. Failure yeah. is actually good because you learn. It's a it's a scientific method. You're 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 questioning things. You're testing them out. You're forming hypotheses. You might fail, but you learn from the failure, and then you circle you circle your way back and you change something of the way you operated in the first place based on your learnings from that failure, and then you make the idea better. And so, well, yeah. Well, I'm just, I was just thinking that you talk to almost anyone who has deployed and it, they would go back in a second because they had the ability to move in directions they couldn't do. I think other people, uh, many people, I should say, assume that change will happen, including corporations that you're talking about who, who aren't moving forward, et cetera. But we can't assume change will happen. We have to make intentional steps to make it happen. And a lot of people want to change their circumstances, but they don't want to change themselves. And I think that's what you're seeing in those corporate clients that you're talking about. And so change is never easy, but change can bring about some amazing lessons and some amazing progress. Yep, yep. And and I think that um, in the military, you have to learn how to inspire people. To achieve, because when you're in those tough environments, mm-hmm. you have to have discipline, but you also have to inspire folks. And inspirational leadership is sorely needed in many of these corporations. It's not just about transactions anymore. In mm-hmm. banking and insurance and investments where I work, it used to be a heavy transaction environment. We do these transactions. Let's see if we can do them cheaper, uh, quicker, more cost-effective than everybody else. Nowadays, in this innovation environment, it's not about doing the transactions. It's about how you change the transactions for the betterment of the customer. And with that, um, you need 
inspirational leadership so that you're inspiring folks at your various levels of your organization to see those changes, to to embrace the changes, and then to lead teams to help make them. And and that's, you know, military folks have that. We, mm-hmm. You hire them on, um, they're going to come with that inherently because they've been doing it while in the military. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. The, um, when we're in Iraq, our battalion commander uh, was was a truly an inspirational leader. He was a Marines Marine. He had been a, on the enlisted side. He had been all the way up to staff sergeant, and then at that time he was a lieutenant colonel um, as a battalion commander. And the Marines would have followed him anywhere, not mm-hmm. just because we have a, the discipline side where we have to we have to follow orders because it's, it's so much bigger than that. Um, that only gets you so far, but it's because. Every Marine there knew that he treasured their value. He thought about uh, their their morale on a daily basis, and he would he would lead from the front. He would never have his Marines go on a mission that he himself wasn't willing to lead or, or go on if he had the time. And he was always out there. I mean, five, six, seven days a week he was out there uh, in, in contested territory. So when you have a leader, and that, that applies, you know, there's a clear metaphor for the private sector there, too. So if you believe in leading from the front and practicing what you preach and, and being – uh, not not asking your people to do something you yourself wouldn't be willing to do. Um, then those are those are some cornerstones to to inspirational leadership, and from there you're in a good position to inspire change because people trust you, they want to follow you, and if you can, especially if you can include them in what the change is necessary, and how to get there, then you're going to get buy-in on a, on a greater level, and it all comes together. Well, it does, and what you're talking about are characters. Uh, character, value, relationship building. People will not follow you unless they know you and yeah. trust you and, and believe that you will lead them somewhere safe. And so I, I think that what you're talking about is something that is a diminishing uh, commodity today uh, where you do have a lot of strong integrity and character and values. I, I think, unfortunately, we are seeing less of that in public life and and on television every day and on the internet but it is there and inspirational leadership is absolutely dependent upon those things but i I choose to take the positive route and say it is there we just need to bring it to the forefront it is there and now um kind of relates to that we talk about in terms of management by walking around uh Mm -hmm. which which has been around for thousands of years in the military because that's what leaders do. Enlisted and officers, they, they know their troops. I mean, how many movies have we seen where the leaders been out there uh, inspiring folks before a big, big undertaking, mm-hmm. and they get to know their people. I mean, that's, that's a basic leadership principle is know your people. And uh, if you can't identify with them, and more importantly, if they can't identify with you, why, how, how could you possibly inspire any sort of innovation or change on, on their half? I'm sure um, that you saw this in Bosnia, and I'm sure, Mick, that you saw it throughout your Army career, that, that when an officer took time to learn, his, learn about his soldiers, they would do a whole lot more for him otherwise. Amen. Yeah. Mick, we have just a few minutes left. What would you like to impart uh, as sort of passing words, and how do people get in touch with you? Uh, I, I, you know, this has been great dialogue, and I think that our message that the military is more innovative than um, 
probably most people think is a good one, and I think it's spot on. So, so I think the, the, the message that I hope comes across is that these military members aren't just qualified. They're probably more qualified to get you into, into innovative places that you want your company to be. Uh, as far as me, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, uh, an independent consultant, and you can find me if you just look up Mick Simonelli. I'm all over the web. I've got a you know web page, Twitter account, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And if anybody wants to continue the dialogue or or just you know argue with something that we talked about, I'm happy to I'm happy to discuss it. As I said, Linda, Justin, I eat, sleep, drink, um, innovation. I love it. So uh, <laughs> reach out to me, challenge me. Oh, don't offer, don't open that door because we'll have you on again, Mick, and we'll have more of this discussion. I think it's been very valuable. I hope that everyone understands that we truly also believe, Justin and I and the rest of the radio staff do believe that people are more than qualified, that creativity does exist, innovation does exist, and so does the initiative to make things happen. So, Mick, thank you so much for sharing with us what you're doing. And Please give your um, URL. Is it MickSiminelli.com? Yes. Okay, so MickSiminelli.com. And please also look into about innovation and culture and those that you uh, that are listening who work with the employment of our veterans. It would be terrific if you could pass on the word that this show explains a lot more in depth about the innovation and creative spirit of our military and that we are so grateful to have their service and let's help them get their jobs in good spots, in good fit out in the civilian world. Thank you so much for listening to Military Network Radio, and we will talk with you next week. Thank you, Mick Simonelli and Justin Constantine. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance your